The following program is for informational purposes only and it's not a recommendation to buy or sell Bitcoin or any particular investment or products, nor a recommendation to pursue any particular purchase or investment strategy. The brands, opinions, advertisements, and recommendations expressed by this program are the opinions and recommendations of the individuals creating the show and not the LTB network. Well, hello, Southern California, and hello, world. If you've been listening to Dave Ramsey on KCAA 1050 AM, stay right there. This is the Mad Money Machine. I'm Paul Boyer. What we have here applies to you as well. Get in touch with the new world of Bitcoin. Coming up on this episode, it's the continuing battle of good versus evil. Is the post office evil? Is Garrick Heilman good? Is Mount Gox evil? Is Andreas Antonopoulos good? Is Apple evil? Find out on this episode of the Mad Money Machine. Why is Bitcoin important for you, the Dave Ramsey listener? Well, the dream is that someday you can cut up those credit cards and pay for your online purchases using Bitcoin. No more going into debt. Also, you can keep some of your savings in Bitcoin and not have it inflated away like the dollar. Yeah, that's the beauty about Bitcoin. There's something in there for everybody. You know, whether whether you're just trying to pay for something online or you're just trying to, you know, do like gold and, and keep your money away from the evils of inflation, or you just want to send some money to a friend somehow. I mean, look at the alternatives. How, how do you send money to a friend right now? You could write them a check and then they have to go to the bank and deposit the check. What a pain. You could send them some money through PayPal and then get charged 3% or so on the money that you're sending to them. Uh, you could drive over to their house and give them cash, and then you gotta pay the gas to get to their house. You could wait until you see them, or you could get right online right now, open up your Bitcoin wallet, get their Bitcoin address, type in the amount you wanna send them and press send. And you pay probably something like seven cents fee to send them whatever amount you wanna send them, a dollar, a million dollars. And by the way, if you do want to send somebody a million dollars, my address is on the website, (laughs) madmoneymachine.com. Well, um, I've got, I'm working on a lot of new segments for this show. And so stay right there. We'll, we will have a tool of the week. We will have a spin at the world's favorite game, Guru Roulette. Of course, we will take a minute to look at the Bitcoin market and see what it's been doing the past week. But before we get to all that, let's listen to this commercial message. Here's to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes, the ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. You can quote them, disagree with them, glorify or vilify them. About the only thing you can't do is ignore them. Because they change things. They push the human race forward. 
while some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. That was an Apple commercial voiced by Steve Jobs. That one was never released. The one that was released featured the voice of Richard Dreyfus. Let's hear now from some of the other crazy ones. The misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers, the round pegs in the square holes. What I'm going to shoot today is my iPhone 4S. Uh, the reason I'm doing it is because they have blocked all uh, Bitcoin apps. And if I shoot this iPhone 4S, a uh, round peg has agreed to send me a Nexus 5. I'm at 300 yards. And I have 23% battery life left, so I'm going to sprint down 300 yards and try and get this rifle on target as fast as possible. At which point he runs and get ready for some violence, people. Ooh, doggies, that's some fine shooting. Of my uh, 4S, the uh, 69 grade machines uh, sure did a number on it at uh, 50 yards. As he rattles through the wreckage, well, let's hear from some of the other ones who see things differently. They're not fond of rules, and they have no respect for the status quo. All right, my name is Brent, and uh, I am here to destroy my iPhone 5. Uh, yes, he sounds a little like Thurston Howell. Uh, Lovey, could you bring me my iPhone 5? Uh, but he looks a little bit more like one of the rebels, the troublemakers, the misfits. <laughs> now, there's a reason for this. That reason being, Apple has decided to uh, effectively block any advances in Bitcoin, any sort of cryptocurrency, and for a company that promotes futurism and everything like that, this is not acceptable. Now, this is a machete. He must live in one of the no-gun states. <laughs> and this machete is going to go through this iPhone. You know, I don't think that one's going to be coming back. Looks like the screen's pretty well busted down to the digitizer. You can kind of see into the battery there. Let's hear from one more of the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels, the troublemakers. And the whole reason behind this video is to smash an iPhone 5 or 5S because Apple is against Bitcoins. And now he reaches down and pulls something out of the Bitcoin tool crib. a good number on it oh well i just hope i don't get on these guys bad side i love bitcoin guys i love bitcoin i love bitcoin well you can quote these guys disagree with them glorify or vilify them about the only thing you can't do is ignore them because they change things they push the human race forward and while some may see them as the crazy ones we see genius because the people who are crazy enough to change the world 
are the ones who do. So if you haven't seen any headlines whatsoever, what all the hoopla was about was Apple removed an app from the App Store. It was from blockchain.info. It was their wallet app. And, you know, Apple had previously disallowed apps from, I think, BitPay and Coinbase. So we kind of knew this was coming. There had been 120,000 downloads of this application already. But I had to figure, yeah, the Apple is going to eventually remove this thing. And sure enough, they did. And why is it that they did that? There's two, two reasons people are speculating. The first reason people say is, well, Apple wants to be compliant with regulations and they don't know what the regulation is on money transfer and all that sort of stuff. So they uh, deleted it due to non-compliance with regulations. I'm not sure I buy that one. The second reason is they're coming out with their own payment system which we speculate will be called iPay and will include the iPhone 5S with its little fingerprint scanner and its proximity beacon and all this sort of stuff to allow you to buy things at other stores besides Apple, besides Apple stores and just have it charged through your iTunes account. If that's the case, they should be prepared for some antitrust lawsuits. I mean, it is their company and they really can sort of do what they want, I imagine. Which is why all these guys, these crazy ones, misfits, rebels, troublemakers, are moving to Android. But hold on, hope is not lost for ye iPhone users. You can still use wallets from the websites using a web browser. So coinpunk.com is one of the first HTML5 based apps, wallet apps that you could be able to just browse to it using your iPhone browser. Blockchain is said to be coming out with an HTML5 browser-based app, and I'm sure there'll be others. So don't despair if you don't want to switch to Android. Hold on to your iPhone. Just go around, Apple, you rebels. And now a public service announcement from Gavin Andreessen. This is probably a good place for me to inject my standard public service announcement, which is... <laughs> Bitcoin's still an experiment, and it's still really cutting-edge technology. And so for ordinary people, you know, I, I still tell people, don't invest your life savings in Bitcoin. Only invest time or money that you can afford to lose. Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of hackers out there. Computer security is a whole other topic that I could spend a couple hours talking about, the poor, the poor sorry state of computer security. And uh, you know, part of my job as as the lead developer for Bitcoin is to try to make it you know easy enough to use that I could actually you know trust my mom with some bitcoins, which I don't at this point. <laughs> I love my mom; she's not technical. If I gave her some bitcoins, I'd really be worried that she would just lose them. Well, Gavin, stop doing all these silly interviews and get back to work and make this thing easy to use. Got a lot of clips from people on both sides of the Bitcoin argument, those that are evangelists for Bitcoin, and those that are sort of, um, I don't know, what's the opposite of evangelist? <laughs> Detractor, certainly. Apostate might be another word. I don't know. So, no, that would be somebody who used to believe in Bitcoin that doesn't anymore. Also, we'll have a segment answering your questions about Bitcoin. Feel free to call the Mad Money Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121. 571-366-7121. Go ahead and type it into your phone now. It's the Mad Money Machine voicemail line. 
Well, I'd like to start it off right now with a clip from one of those Bitcoin evangelists. It's Garrick Heilman. I think I think one of the most exciting things about alternative currencies is the experimentation. And like you said, the way we can rethink what money means to us, what we want it to do. Um, for example, I've heard talk of a education coin, if you will, that would be mined into existence through learning. So students completing, say, online learning games, and, and that's what generates new currency. And in a similar vein, uh, I, now that Adam B. Levine has announced it on his Let's Talk Bitcoin show last Tuesday, I think it was episode 81, he's going to be creating a LTB coin that's used for the Let's Talk Bitcoin network of shows and services and, and authors out there. And uh, so this will be literally coin of the realm for Let's Talk Bitcoin listeners as well as producers. And I'm very excited about that. Well, let's hear more from Garrick Hyman. The main thing I would say is that I do think people are starting to think more about money in ways they never have. And I guess in some ways that is, you know, kind of breaking through a taboo. Um, it's just not something people ever questioned before or wondered about. I mean, I ask people, you know, in all sorts of countries, in your high school, you know, your secondary education, did they ever sit down and explain to you how money comes into existence? And I haven't found a single education system yet where that's discussed as part of the core curriculum. I think he's got a really good point there. We are not taught what money is. I, I have a pretty vivid memory. Going back, it was 1995. It was right about the time Windows 95 came out. That was August of 95, if I'm recalling it correctly. It was about the same time that I was remembering sitting in my bedroom. Maybe I was holding a dollar bill in my hand and I was asking, what? What is it that makes this thing worth anything? Why is this piece of paper money? Where does it come from? Where does it get its value? It was a question that uh, took me a long time, quite frankly, to, to get to the answer of. Why is this piece of paper valuable? It's the same question people are asking right now about Bitcoin. Why is a Bitcoin valuable? And uh, Garrick Heilman uh, has a good point that we should be teaching people what is money. It's along with uh, one of the basic things I think kids should be taught in high school is how to do finances, how to live in the world. Isn't that what education is for, after all? So who is this Garrick Heilman anyway? Well, he's an economic historian with the London School of Economics, and he's the founder of MacroDigest.com. You can find out more about Garrick Heilman at his website, GarrickHeilman.com, G-A-R-R-I-C-K-H-I-L-E-M-A-N.com. He said, his bio says that he is best known as an expert on Bitcoin and alternative currencies. He's frequently sought as a speaker on the topic and makes regular appearances in the media, including CNBC, BBC, NPR, Al Jazeera, and Sky News. Well, I'd like to finish up the clip of Garrick Heilman talking about Bitcoin with his take on why Satoshi Nakamoto is so important to the history and lore of Bitcoin. I think the, the myth, though, if you put aside who might be Satoshi or who, who these people might be, I think the myth has been incredibly important to Bitcoin. I think there's two things that have gotten the media's attention more than any other. One is the question of whether Bitcoin is a bubble, the big price spikes. And the second is who is Satoshi Nakamoto? One of the interesting things about having a kind of mysterious founder is we, as people, can kind of project things onto this founder. 
Buddha and Jesus never wrote anything down. You know, we don't have any pictures of these people. You know, we can, we're all free to imagine what they kind of look like and maybe how they sounded. That's quite powerful because our imaginations can wrap things around these names like Satoshi, like Jesus, like Buddha. <laughs> did he, oh, did he really just compare Satoshi to Buddha and Jesus? I guess he did and literally did, but maybe not seriously in a religious sense. Although, in a way, I've been thinking that there are elements of Bitcoin that people are kind of turning into a religion. We've got St. Satoshi, the creator of Bitcoin. Uh, we have his paper about Bitcoin, which is our law, which is the law written by Satoshi. And of course, the first block uh, generated by Bitcoin was uh, by Satoshi for Bitcoin was the Genesis block. And then, of course, if you're getting into Mastercoin, you have the Exodus block. Uh, the, another evangelist, Roger Veer, is the Bitcoin Jesus. And we've got Bitcoin. I always call it the battle of good versus evil. We had the Pope talking about how the Internet is a gift from God. He didn't mention Bitcoin specifically. But it is interesting, this mythology of Bitcoin. Garrick has just a few more thoughts here. The thing that's interesting about Satoshi is, I think, especially in the early hacker community, there was this, who is, are you Satoshi? It's kind of like, well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I mean, we all could be Satoshi. Maybe I'm Satoshi. I'm not. It allows us to kind of like play on these possibilities, I think, and that's something that can captivate people. I think the person of Satoshi Nakamoto was not only a cryptocurrency and software developer genius, I think they were clearly a marketing genius as well by really seeing the possibilities whether accidentally or intentionally, and basically having this mythical person really as founder, and then knowing when to disappear at the right time. Well, it really is fascinating to think about Satoshi Nakamoto, the creator of Bitcoin, hasn't been heard from since 2010 or so. Um, I think there was a, he had a domain under his control, and that was released about a year later. So people are thinking that, yes, Satoshi is alive, but we just haven't heard from him. And one of the mysteries surrounding Satoshi is that Satoshi created the Bitcoins. He, he had the very first block created, which gave him 50 Bitcoins. And they, have, they haven't been spent. You can go out and look at that Bitcoin address. In fact, I used the tool from last week, which is shortcoin.io. And I created a link to the very first coin created. You can go to shortcoin.io slash Genesis. That'll give you the Bitcoin address for the very first 50 Bitcoins created. That's the Bitcoin address that holds the very first 50 Bitcoins that were created. And then copy that address and paste it into blockchain.info. And you can see the transactions that have happened on that address. All transactions on that address have been inputs. There's only one input back from the original days. That was uh, January 3rd, 2009. There have been 881 other inputs into that address since that time. I think it's just people around the world donating to Satoshi Nakamoto. Started out with 50 Bitcoins. It's now up to a total of 64.9 Bitcoins. So there have been 14.9 Bitcoins, that's about $10,000 in today's money, have been given basically the, to the owner of this very first Bitcoin address. Now, the most recent transaction on that address was February 2nd, 
of this year. Groundhog Day, Super Bowl Day. Somebody gave a half a millibit to that address, but they're just donating to Satoshi Nakamoto. It reminds me of people coming to the altar and placing down some flowers or some object in tribute to the Creator. Let's hear now from Apostle Andreas, Andreas Antonopoulos, on the importance of the Satoshi mythology. I think the myth of Satoshi Nakamoto is one that can cause some confusion, especially to new people in the space. And primarily the reason for that is because in currencies that are centrally controlled, who has the control is vitally important. There is an authority of the central issuer of the currency, and the value of the currency is based on that authority. In cryptocurrencies that derive their power and trust from an algorithm, the authority of the issuer is really irrelevant. The authority of the creator of the currency is really completely irrelevant. And then Apostle Andreas went on to talk about how when you're doing geometry, it's, it's not really important that you know who Euclid was, you know, the author of Euclidean geometry. But then Andreas talked about how he likes to think that maybe when he goes to conferences, Satoshi might be there. We may never find out who Satoshi Nakamoto was. Um, I like to think that when I go to a conference, Satoshi Nakamoto is there and she's pretending to be one of the audience. Well, since we're on the subject of Satoshi Nakamoto and his creation, um, or her creation, I thought it might be worth just a minute to read from his original paper, published in 2008, entitled, Bitcoin, a Peer-to-Peer Electronic Cash System. Abstract. A purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution. Digital signatures provide part of the solution, but the main benefits are lost if a trusted third party is still required to prevent double spending. We propose a solution to the double spending problem using a peer-to-peer network. The network timestamps transactions by hashing them into an ongoing chain of hash-based proof-of-work forming a record that cannot be changed without redoing the proof-of-work. The longest chain not only serves as proof of the sequence of events witnessed, but proof that it came from the largest pool of CPU power. As long as a majority of CPU power is controlled by nodes that are not cooperating to attack the network, they'll generate the longest chain and outpace attackers. The network itself requires minimal structure, Messages are broadcast on a best-effort basis, and nodes can leave and rejoin the network at will, accepting the longest proof-of-work chain as proof of what happened while they were gone. I encourage you to go out and get a copy of the paper yourself. Go to bitcoin.org bitcoin.pdf and read it. It's only nine pages long. The last page is references, so really only eight pages long, made up of 12 short sections describing peer-to-peer electronic payment system. Time now to pull something out of the Mad Money Machine Bitcoin Tool Crib. It's the Bitcoin Tool of the Week. Well, a couple of shows ago, I uh, gave you a tool that was a way to track Bitcoin addresses that you might own or 
Bitcoin addresses that someone else might own for that matter. And that was Coinspy.io. There was a problem for me with the way Coinspy.io worked, at least as far as monitoring other Bitcoin addresses. For example, if you wanted to monitor the Silk Road Bitcoin address to see when transaction occurred on that, well, if you pop that into Coinspy.io, you would get an email address every time somebody, some person on the internet sent coins to that address, as well as when coins were withdrawn from that address. So since the time I recommended Coinspy.io out at Reddit, I found WalletHQ.com. And WalletHQ.com allows you to discriminate between inputs and outputs in a transaction. So for example, if you wanted to monitor when the FBI starts selling those coins from Dread Pirate Roberts, then you can go to WalletHQ.com. You have to sign up for an account, but that's okay because they're going to email you anyway, right? So you got to give them your email address. Then you can go into the subscription area. You can enter in that um, Dread Pirate Roberts Bitcoin address, which by the way, uh, I mentioned earlier, you can go to shortcoin.io slash DPR now. I bet I've made that shortcoin address. Shortcoin.io slash DPR will get you the Dread Pirate Roberts Bitcoin address. Copy that and paste it into Wallet HQ. Give it a label there. I, I put mine as DPR. And then on the alert type, you can select inputs and outputs. Inputs only or outputs only. So I want to know when they start selling it. So I want to know outputs only. Then you click save and you're all done. Now the neat thing about Wallet HQ is because you have an account there, you can manage these subscriptions. So unlike CoinSpy that you can't remove one of the uh, subscriptions that you signed up for, you can go into WalletHQ.com and remove some of this alert subscriptions that you have entered previously. Another one you might want to enter in to WalletHQ.com is the Genesis block address that I mentioned earlier, the Satoshi address. Will Satoshi ever spend those original 50 Bitcoins he created? Go to WalletHQ.com, enter in the shortcoin.io slash Genesis address, select outputs only, and press save. You'll be among the first to know when Satoshi rises again. Now, on a more practical level, if you have a paper wallet or if you're running a wallet on your computer, like Bitcoin QT or Electrum, and you want to know when someone sent you some Bitcoins, you can register the Bitcoin address that you're receiving Bitcoins on at WalletHQ.com, and you'll get an email on that payment then. If you go into WalletHQ.com and select Inputs, and you probably want to deselect, you probably don't need to know when you're spending your coins, so you probably don't need to select Outputs there. Well, that's our Bitcoin tool of the week, WalletHQ.com. And like the best things in life, it's free. The best things in life are free. You can keep it for the birds and bees, knock him out on him. Knock him out on him, on him, That's what I want. I'm Paul Boyer. You're listening to The Mad Money Machine. If you like what you're hearing, do two things for me, please. Go out to Twitter and make a tweet, including at Mad Money Machine, and say whether you like the show or not. And then secondly, go to madmoneymachine.com and click the donate button there. 
or scan the QR code or click the address or whatever and send some Bitcoins my way. There's also for you folks, you know, there might be some folks out there that don't even have Bitcoin yet. There's actually a PayPal button. Yes, old fashioned money. You can send it to me that way as well. Please help keep the mad money machine going. This is all I do. And if you don't have Bitcoins, here's a question. Would you be willing to go to the post office to buy Bitcoins? Well, that is something that came up the past couple of weeks. The U.S. Postal Service is exploring adding Bitcoin exchanges. Now, don't hold your breath that it's going to happen within the next couple of uh, months. This is not operating on Bitcoin time now. This is operating on Postal Service time. They're saying that even though even if they did this, it would take years. Well, it does kind of make sense. They do more than handle letters and packages. They actually have existing banking and money transmitter licenses that they could leverage to um, use to be able to convert dollars to bitcoins or perhaps bitcoins to dollars. And as I understand it, there's a post office in every zip code. Question, of course, would be how much fee would they charge? Well, for more information about this, let's go to Bloomberg. Jim? How serious is this that the Postal Service might get into, into Bitcoin? I know, Betty, it sounds really strange, doesn't it? You don't think of the Postal Service and Bitcoin or virtual currency in the same sentence. Um, but this is something that they're really looking at. So they had an online forum on this last week. The researchers, this is at the Inspector General's office now, the, the researchers there are going to be working on a white paper. They're going to start that in the next few months. Months? How about starting it today? Um, and all of this is really part of their, their push to get more involved in financial services. So you may not realize it, but the Postal Service already is involved with things like money orders, money transfers, um, prepaid debit cards, things like that. So this would really be the next frontier for them. And some of the reasons they think they're positioned to do this, they've got a brand that people trust. They've got nationwide reach. So they've got 36,000 different brick and mortar offices that people would be able to walk in, buy their Bitcoins, get Bitcoins loaded onto their phone, and potentially even withdraw, the, withdraw some of those Bitcoins. They also have a money transfer license. And those are pretty coveted and, and difficult for startups to get so that would give them an edge yeah the only difference is a startup will actually start up uh, Megan what about regulation here yeah there could be a lot of concerns about potential regulation especially with what we've seen transpiring in New York but keep in mind Betty this would go, have to go through a lot of internal hurdles so we're talking about a few years out they're hoping and the researchers are hoping that at that point there will be harmonization that there will be federal regulations on the books not a patchwork of different state laws and of course that's going to be important for the future of Bitcoin as well how that plays out and for more on the story let's go to Bloomberg's Bitcoin expert Matt Miller. Are Bitcoin enthusiasts, Matt, like, are, are they really supporting this? Are they getting behind yeah. the postal service that well, we need? Well, I mean, will they do anything know, to really legitimize Bitcoin it? enthusiasts, there are a lot of them. So they don't do everything en masse, right? So I'm sure they're different opinions. But I know a, a lot of people who are working very hard. Um, Matthew Mellon of the Bank of New York Mellon family. Alex Waters, one of the original Bitcoin developers, are working with a group called Coin Validation. And they're holding talks on a regular basis with Congress people uh, to try and help get this regulation regulation through to kind of try and under, explain it to everyone and, and make it uh, easier to use to link names to accounts. And uh, I mean, it seems like the obvious next step to me. Oh, my Satoshi. I'm not sure that I agree with all of this now. Yeah, we don't. First of all, coin validation is a horrible 
horrible thing. We don't want to discriminate between one Bitcoin and another Bitcoin. Just like all dollars are the same, all Bitcoins should be the same. It's called fungibility. The second thing is, no, we don't want to have to register our names in order to buy a Bitcoin. Why does everything have to be tracked? Why does everything in the world that we do have to be tracked? And, and tracked by the government. You know, Bitcoin is a worldwide thing. You're going to put U.S. at a disadvantage if you make U.S. people track their Bitcoins. You've got Matt Mellon, descendant of the famed banking family, Mellon Bank. There's no possible conflict of interest there, is there, between banking and Bitcoin? And he linked up with this guy, Alex Waters, which I read at Forbes. This is sort of ironic. He's a former core Bitcoin developer and the then chief technology officer at BitInstant. BitInstant, the company that Charlie Shrim founded, the company that uh, Charlie Shrim was arrested for performing money laundering for, allegedly. What a tangled web we weave. And running off to Congress. We want coin validation, Congress. We want coin validation. You want coin validation. It's like running home to mommy every time somebody looks at you funny. Goodness gracious, Bitcoiners. Can't you leave well enough alone? Can't you let innovation thrive? Can't you let creative destruction take its own force? I just don't know about this anymore then. If the Postal Service has to have coin validation in order for me to go buy a Bitcoin. No thanks. I mean, you hear what they're saying here, right? You're going, you'll take your money. You'll take uh, your $100 to the post office. You'll say, I'd like to buy some Bitcoin. And they'll say, okay, it'll be a hundred, you know, how much do you want? I want $100 worth. You give them the $100. Uh, you hold up your phone or something. They zap the Bitcoin to you. Oh, no, no, it's not that simple. First, you have to put your name, your social security number, your home address, all this information about you. Then they'll zap the Bitcoin to you for your $100. No, thank you at all. A Bitcoin registry. Goodness gracious. Why don't we have all our names and social security numbers in the blockchain? Ridiculous. Now, I'm not saying that this is going to happen or this is what they're planning on happening, but, you know, who'd put it past them? On the other hand, though, we've got a good guy in our corner. Daryl Dwayne, the head of the Washington, D.C. Bitcoin meetup group, whom I've met a couple times. He's mentioned in this Coindesk article. He's, it says that he was initially approached by the USPS and later helped promote the event where they got together and talked about whether you know the USPS should get involved in Bitcoin. And the article mentions he says there were suggestions like if someone made a post coin, what would that be or how could that help? If we were to employ this technology to support post office operations around the world internationally, how could cryptocurrency help post offices to do their business, Dwayne said. Well, the article at Coindesk.com says that experts from Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago, Booz Allen Hamilton, which is where um, Snowden used to work, George Mason University, and the Bitcoin Foundation were on hand to speak about Bitcoin, its use cases and its implications in the wider economy as part of the two-and-a-half-hour meeting. Well, like I said, don't expect anything for several years out of the post office. And by then, we'll be on to the next big thing. By then, we'll have ATMs located at every corner 
that do this for us, and hopefully they don't require us to put in our social security number. It's time now to play a round of the world's favorite game, Guru Roulette. I've replaced the numbers on a roulette wheel with the names of Bitcoin gurus. I'll spin the wheel and roll the marble, and for the selected guru, give it a little background on their Bitcoin philosophy. So here we go. And the winner this time on Madman Machine for February 11th, 2014 is... Roger Veer! Roger Veer, known as Bitcoin Jesus. Roger Veer has served as the full-time CEO of MemoryDealers.com, directly employing about 30 people and serving happy customers around the world. In early 2011, Roger discovered Bitcoin. Memory Dealers became the first mainstream business to accept Bitcoins as payment, and Roger has since become the most prolific Bitcoin-related startup investor. Roger has funded the seed rounds for such Bitcoin startups as Bitcoin Foundation, BitInstant, CoinLab, Blockchain, Ripple, Kraken, Coinapult, Bitcoin Store, and Bitcoin Chip-In. Well, Roger was on CNBC uh, last November at the peak of the Bitcoin price, and here's what they had to say. Bitcoin Jesus joins us right now via Skype. Roger, uh, welcome to the show. We want to know, how did you become the so-called messiah of cryptocurrency? Um, I found out about Bitcoin almost three years ago, and when I discovered it, I realized that it's the most important invention in the entire history of the world since the Internet. Uh, let me just stop right there if I can, because this is something Roger says over and over, and it's actually on his website. He says that Bitcoin is the most important invention in the history of the world since the Internet. Now, that just doesn't make logical sense. I mean, here's a, here's a way to rephrase it. It's the most important invention in the history of the world other than the Internet. That's the way to say it. I mean, it's like me saying this cup of coffee that I've got this morning is the best tasting coffee I've had in the history of the world since yesterday. <laughs> I mean... There was a cup of coffee three days ago that was the best tasting cup of coffee in the history of the world. But this one this morning is the best tasting cup of coffee in the history of the world since yesterday. Uh, anyway, let's keep going with Roger. And because it's such an amazing world changing invention that's going to make everybody's life on the entire planet better, I wanted to tell everybody about it. So for the last three years, every chance I've got, uh, every time I meet anyone anywhere, I tell them about Bitcoin. So uh, at one point I was evangelizing about Bitcoin to about two dozen uh, high school kids and they were all enthralled and so excited about it. And another person watching the whole uh, thing uh, commented, it's like you're a Bitcoin Jesus and you have all your disciples around you. So that's uh, how it started a few years ago. Is it tough at all? Though, watching your uh, net worth go up and down uh, <laughs> quite significantly day by day. I mean, Bitcoin down about 20% today, uh, but it's you know gotten as, as high as upwards of a thousand. What's that like? Yeah, um, to, to be honest, the reason I'm involved in Bitcoin isn't to, to day trade or speculate or watch that sort of thing on it. Uh, I'm involved because I think it's going to make the lives of every single person on the entire planet better. Explain um, what that means. It's hard for me to, to, to necessarily uh, support you on that one. 
Okay. Well, for example, governments all over the world love to print money. If you or I do that, we get sent to jail for uh, counterfeiting. When governments do that, they call it fancy things like a quantitative easing. And when governments print all that money, it makes the dollars or euros or yen that normal people have worth less. So basically, it's a stealing value and savings from the people. And with a currency like Bitcoin with a hard cap of 21 million, governments can't just make their own fake Bitcoins out of thin air. Uh, there's no way that governments can just uh, inflate the currency like they do with the current currency. So if the entire world starts using Bitcoins, everybody's going to be better off. Uh, I'm actually in Argentina at the moment for a Bitcoin conference. Uh, it's a great example of a country that has all sorts of ridiculous currency controls. I actually sent a dollar worth of Bitcoin from here in Argentina to the producer of your show about a half an hour ago. With any other payment system, that would be impossible without getting government permission. With Bitcoin, you can send and receive money with anyone anywhere on the planet, and there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to stop it or control it in any way. And that's a really, really exciting thing, and it's never existed before in the history of the world. Roger Veer, we love you. Don't quit doing what you're doing. Keep preaching the word of Bitcoin. You're the best Bitcoin evangelist in the history of the world. Congratulations, Roger Veer. You're the guru on Mad Men Machine for February 11th, 2014. I'm Paul Boyer, and you're listening to the Mad Money Machine. If there's anything at all you like about the show, please go on Twitter and tweet something to at Mad Money Machine. Also, go to madmoneymachine.com and please give generously. Well, there was this other little piece of interesting news that happened this past week. We heard about Apple, of course, and the post office. But what about the Mount Gox story? Mount Gox, M-T-G-O-X, Magic the Gathering online exchange, which morphed into being a Bitcoin exchange, at one point, the largest Bitcoin exchange in the history of the world. Had some troubles a couple of years ago, had some troubles this year, had some troubles this past week. They actually suspended Bitcoin withdrawals from their exchange, citing a technical problem. Then early Monday morning, about uh, 6 a.m. Eastern time, they released their statement. Dear Mt. Gox customers and Bitcoiners, as you are aware... The Mt. Gox team has been working hard to address an issue with the way that Bitcoin withdrawals are processed. By Bitcoin withdrawal, we are referring to transactions from a Mt. Gox Bitcoin with wallet to an external Bitcoin address. Bitcoin transactions to any Mt. Gox Bitcoin address and currency withdrawals, yen, euro, etc., are not affected by this issue. The problem we have identified is not limited to Mt. Gox and affects all transactions where Bitcoins are being sent to a third party. We believe that the changes required for addressing this issue will be positive over the long term for the whole community. As a result, we took the necessary action of suspending Bitcoin withdrawals until this technical issue was resolved. And then they continue in their statement saying, Mt. Gox has detected unusual activity on its Bitcoin wallets and performed investigations during the past weeks. This confirmed the presence of transactions which need to be examined more closely. The non-technical explanation? A bug in the Bitcoin software makes it possible for someone to use Bitcoin network to alter transaction details to make it seem like sending a Bitcoin to a Bitcoin wallet did not occur, when in fact it did occur. Since the transaction appears as if it has not been processed correctly, the Bitcoins may be resent. Mt. Gox is working with the Bitcoin Core Development Team and others to mitigate this issue. And then they go into a technical explanation, which is hardly podcast appropriate. But Reddit is all a buzz and the web is all a buzz with this transaction identity issue. 
which has been known since 2011. It's not a bug in Bitcoin. It's a bug in the way Mt. Gox does their internal processing. Their conclusion, to put things in perspective, it's important to remember that Bitcoin is a very new technology and still very much in its early stages. What Mt. Gox and the Bitcoin community have experienced in the past year has been an incredible and exciting challenge, and there's still much to do to further improve it. Mt. Gox will resume Bitcoin withdrawals to outside wallets once the issue outlined above has been properly addressed in a manner that will be best serve our customers. Now, I mentioned Garrick Heilman earlier. He talked to CNBC and told them that this error was with Bitcoin's protocol called a transaction malleability, that it isn't a new problem and believes that Mt. Gox may be using it as a delaying tactic because of an internal technology complication, a regulatory issue, or even a solvency problem. He says a lot of people have really had it with Mt. Gox. He said that he would be surprised if Mt. Gox engineers had found something significantly new regarding the issue of transaction malleability, but added that something like double spending where transactions are accidentally completed twice would be a huge issue. Now, about six months ago, Roger Veer visited the offices of Mt. Gox in Japan, and he read this statement off of some cue cards looking to the side of the camera. And a lot of people commented that it looked like someone was holding a gun to his head. He looked like he was in a hostage situation. But here's what he said at the time. I'm Roger Veer, longtime Bitcoin advocate and investor. Today I'm at the Mt. Gox World Headquarters in Tokyo, Japan. I had a nice chat with Mt. Gox CEO Mark Karpelis about their current situation. He showed me multiple bank statements as well as letters from banks and lawyers. I'm sure that all the current withdrawal problems at Mt. Gox are being caused by the traditional banking system, not because of a lack of liquidity at Mt. Gox. The traditional banking partners that Mt. Gox needs to work with are not able to keep up with the demands of the growing Bitcoin economy. The dozens of people that make up the Mt. Gox team are hard at work establishing additional banking partners that eventually will make dealing with Mt. Gox easier for all their customers around the world. For now, I hope everyone will continue working on Bitcoin projects that will help make the world a better place. So, six months ago, Mt. Gox blamed their problems on the banks. Today, they're blaming their problems on the Bitcoin protocol. Tomorrow, they may be blaming their problems on the fact that no one has their accounts at Mt. Gox anymore. Let's take a minute and see how all this news affected the Bitcoin market. Well, the current price of bitcoins is about 68 cents per millibit. The total number of bitcoins in circulation, 12.34 million. That's a market cap of 8.39 billion. The average time between blocks is right at about 10 minutes where it should be. The uh, reward per block with the price down that low is now $17,000. And the transaction fees per block still going down $58.86. The high, according to Bitstamp, in the seven day period was 81 cents per millibit. And we did bottom out at a low of 53 cents. So we did have some volatility this past week with all of the Apple banning Bitcoin and Mt. Gox problems news. Uh, that's after a couple or three weeks of pretty uh, tame volatility in the Bitcoin market hovering around um, 83 cents or something for the past three weeks. 
The total number of transactions per day, 64,000. Uh, the average number of transactions per block, 445. That's your Madma Machine Bitcoin Market Minute. Let's hear some thoughts now from Apostle Andreas on how the majority of Bitcoin owners treat the swings in market price. I think the crowd is maturing all the time. But at the same time, I'm not naive enough to think that the people who buy Bitcoin today buy it because of a deep conviction in the principles of decentralization or because they see the enormous potential and impact decentralized consensus has on the future form of our culture and our world. Uh, they see Bitcoin as a speculative opportunity. The vast majority of people who buy Bitcoin buy Bitcoin because they've seen the price go up and they want to make some money. And so, when the price goes down, since they have no particular conviction, uh, they'll they'll sell pretty in a panicky fashion. Yes, they'll sell, and indeed they do. You know, I mentioned uh, Apple banned Bitcoin. Well, they didn't buy, ban all the Bitcoin apps. There's there's plenty of Bitcoin apps on the Apple Store on the App Store for iPhone and iPad. Uh, one of them I have is called CoinBits, and I used that to good effect yesterday morning, Monday morning. The CoinBits application alerted me that the price at Coinbase had dropped under $600. Ran over to my computer, was able to purchase some fractions of a Bitcoin for the price of about $558 per Bitcoin. So thank you, Apple, for not banning all Bitcoin apps. Thank you, CoinBits, for alerting me that the price went under 600 And maybe that'll be the Bitcoin tool of the week one of these weeks. And speaking of Bitcoin tools, last week I talked to you about some of the, talk to you about some of the uh, Bitcoin shorteners. I got an email, uh, actually a tweet from CoinJabber, who pointed me to bit.co.in, which is a Bitcoin address shortener designed to be more fraud-proof in that it has a PIN number that you need in order to assign uh, your Bitcoin address to a shortened web address. So, for example, you go to bit.co.in slash MMM, and that's my donation address, which is designed to be a place where listeners to this show can go and help contribute to support the show. As you can tell, there haven't been any sponsorship slots on this show. It's all listener-supported. Another tool follow-up was an email from Stephen Van Verenberg. You remember a couple of shows ago how I mentioned that uh, I talked about stealth addresses and I mentioned how every time I, you see one of these QR codes somewhere or you see a Bitcoin address, the first thing you do, I know you do it, is you look to see how much Bitcoin is still present in that Bitcoin address. Well, he's actually written a uh, Google Chrome browser plugin or an extension called Bitcoin Sneak Peek, and it's a Google Chrome extension. Anytime you go to a web page that has a Bitcoin address on it, it'll put a little Bitcoin icon next to that address. You click on that icon, and it tells you how many Bitcoins are, are present in that Bitcoin address out at blockchain.info. Bitcoin Sneak Peek. And now let's go to the Madman Machine voicemail line at 571-366-7121 and hear from you. Hi, Paul. This is Paul in Virginia. I was wondering how you got that Bitcoin logo in your QR code on your website at madmanmachine.com. Thanks. 
Yes, thank you very much for that question, Paul. Yeah, if you go out to madmanmachine.com, you'll see that my donation QR code has a Bitcoin logo right in the middle of the QR code. I think all Bitcoin address QR codes should be identified in this way to distinguish them from anything else. Or maybe distinguish a Bitcoin from a Litecoin QR code. I'll have the link in the show notes to this show, but basically you go out to qrcode-monkey.com, go to the text tab, paste in the Bitcoin address that you want in the text box, then click include logo or image in QR code, click on the own logo or image tab, then upload the Bitcoin logo to it. Just Google it. Press create QR code and then download the image file. You're welcome. Would you like to place an ad for your Bitcoin product or service on the Mad Money Machine? Contact Adam at letstalkbitcoin.com. Well, this Bitcoin stuff is fun, isn't it? I know I had a lot of fun today. I hope you had fun too. This is Paul Boyer saying it takes money to make money and it takes Bitcoin to make a Mad Money Machine. I'll see you next Tuesday, 2 p.m. at KCAA and on the internet. In the meantime, would you buy some Bitcoins, spend some Bitcoins, donate some bitcoins and then replenish your bitcoins and can i ask a favor of you if you found anything at all you like about this show would you tweet that and include at mad money machine to help others find the show we need to spread the gospel about bitcoin the more people that buy bitcoins the more valuable yours become call the mad money machine voicemail line and ask your question at 571-366-7121 that's 571-366-7121 7121. You can find it on my website, madmoneymachine.com. You can email me, bitcoin at madmoneymachine.com. And of course, Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit, Mad Money Machine. Also, I would encourage you to catch some other Let's Talk Bitcoin Network shows. Ed and Ethan's Bitcoin Report. Did you hear the one last Wednesday? Fantastic interview with Trace Mayer. The hour-long show went by in about 15 minutes, I think. Uh, Bitcoins and Gravy on Thursdays, 7 p.m. KCAA, or letstalkbitcoin.com. Check out Stephanie Murphy's new show, 5 p.m. Mondays. Also, Sovereign BTC, the Sovereign Individual show. Lots of great shows out at Let's Talk Bitcoin, including, of course, Let's Talk Bitcoin itself. Thank you so very much. I'm Paul Boyer. I'll see you next Tuesday.